are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This yeah. Is the, this is the Old Man Podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, the, I am so glad we didn't record you the know, pre-show it, for that one. The sad, sad, sad. Monday morning, old people talking about, oh, yeah, well, I <laughs> never believe. And we liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Broken glass both ways. We liked it. Yes. Uh, hey, this is Ollie. And this is Scott. And this is Science in Between. It's not the Old Man Podcast. No, it's, I mean, it uh, is, but it's, it's not the title of it. It's yeah. yeah. It's adjacent to that. It's like close. It's like next close, door. Closely related. Yeah, closely related. Yeah. yeah. Good times. So, uh, yeah. So this is, uh, yeah, Science in Between. And and today we're going to be we, talking about, oh, wait, go ahead. No, I was going to say, we're like, like three episodes into season four. Look at us. This is episode 160. Look at us. Woo. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of episodes. 160 hours. Well, it's probably less than that. Yes. Um, but, you know, give or take. Some person out there may have listened to all 160 hours. I know. You say that every time we bring up. I do. Episodes. It just blows me away. Like, we're here for all 160 yeah. hours. We have to be here for all yeah. 60 hours. They choose to By be definition. here. <laughs> yes, it's true. There is someone out there. And Who has hopefully chosen. They're, hopefully, they're going to send us an email so we can send them a sticker. Yeah. Yeah, because they're a sibling. Yeah, I don't mm. know. I have, I don't think I've gotten any emails yet. I have not yet either. Yeah, All right, so, so an, what are we? That's it. What are we talking about today, Uncle Scott? Uh, sorry, sorry, Uncle Ollie. Um, <laughs> so today, kids, we're going to revisit the gapless explanation. So, um, so this time of year, I'm always in the field with my students doing our our. Um, our methods course, so we're in a middle school, and it always reminds me again of how important the gapless explanation is, and what a what a key piece of really thinking about this new form of science teaching that we're interested in about phenomenon driven science teaching. So we want to just sort of revisit it and talk about what it is, how you develop it, and how it it can be such a core piece of of um, guiding your planning and your thinking about a particular unit of instruction. So. Um, yeah, I think the other part about it is like if it came up, like we're doing, we're still doing, you know, uh, sessions, professional development sessions through the fall, yeah. and we're meeting to plan that. But we've gotten some emails from people who are like, "Hey, do you have examples of what this looks like? And can you yeah. give a, you know?" And and so I I think people hear that gapless explanation term and they go, "Okay, yeah, I think I know what that looks like." But then you know, really putting it into action and thinking about the strategies and 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 the discourse yeah. moves you have to do to help that make that happen, you know, maybe a little elusive, you know? Yeah. Well, and you know, there we go. Just like everything else, the term itself is of no real use if you don't understand what the practice is associated with it. So, um, so yeah, the general, just to do a very quick overview and then we'll dig in a little more is, um, the basic idea is in, in the kind of science instruction that we're talking about, ambitious science teaching, we're talking about starting with a phenomenon some kind of thing that kids can look at or, or start to think about. Um, you know, we've talked about the happy, sad ball, which is two balls that you drop and one bounces and one doesn't tanker crushing, um, is a classic. Uh, and you know, we've got putting sugar on a hot plate and heating it up and seeing the changes that are occurring there. Like there's, there's lots of examples of these kinds of things, but the, the goal of it is here's a thing that we want you to explain. And then you ask kids to explain it, and then you give them a series of experiences, sort of investigations 
that help them understand aspects of that phenomenon. And then the end of the unit is an explanation that they that they provide. That's the final assessment. The summative assessment is an explanation of this original phenomenon. So in order to do that, in order to plan a unit like that, um, you know, backward design and lots of other, you know, begin with the end in mind, right? This idea of like, well, what do you want that to look like? What do you want that final explanation to look like from the kids is the starting point for how to think about a unit. So when you're developing a unit, you identify a phenomenon and then you start writing an explanation for it. And that's, that's typically the genesis of, of these kinds of units. Yeah. I think most teachers are, you know, think like that, right? I mean, if they think like, okay, you know, this, cause I mean, you know, the Wiggins and McTie stuff is pretty common, like the right. backwards design, like you go, okay, well, how am I going to assess the students or what's that end product going to look like? And let's work backwards from there. And it's like, it's like planning your destination. Okay. I'm going on this trip, but the, the difference is that, you know, instead of like it being an exam or a paper, right. It's it, in science and in, in an ambitious science teaching unit. the goal is, Hey, you, your students are going to create this or design this this explanation and i think the part that you know is important is the gapless piece right mm-hmm. because it's like we don't want them to just go blah 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 and then magic happens and that's yeah. why it happens you know yeah. that explains it all it's the you know, far like, side yep like the yeah. far side cartoon which is you know a dated reference yes it is thank yeah. you for calling that out um yeah no exactly and i think the gapless thing, I think actually that word is the thing that hangs the most people up because they're like, well, does that mean I have to explain everything? And and the answer is no, but you do have to decide as the instructor, this is a key thing is you have to decide what you want kids to actually explain. And you have to be able to explain at least that as the right. teacher. And then the students need to do that too. But so the gapless is more about logic and steps of logic, do they have all the pieces, the sort of logic chain that goes from the beginning to the end? Or are they missing spots, right? Like what Ali described as the magic happens here. It's like, well, there shouldn't be any of those. There should be, you should be able to say like, okay, it does this, it does this, it does this. And those should be linked to each other in a, in a chain of logic that lets you follow it. So that's really what gapless means. It doesn't mean explain everything. Because part of what you're doing when you're designing these units as a teacher is you're really thinking about making professional choices about what to include and what not to include in that professional uh, or in that final gapless explanation based on your professional decisions, based on what you think, based on standards and, and your own experience needs to be included in this particular unit. Yeah, and I think a, a large part of that is going to be the students that you're working with, right? I mean, Should what be. we're going to expect from like a like a second grade classroom is going to be very different than what we're expecting from like a ninth or tenth grade classroom. 100%. And so, so I think you know, and I think the standards provide some guidance to that because I think that the standards are written in a in a very developmental way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we we I we have a love hate you know, relationship with standards and anytime we make lists of things, especially you. But I think that one of the things that, you know, the next generation science standards are, are, are really attend to is this, this, you know, age appropriateness, you know, and saying, okay, like there's a leveled sort of learning of, of, of what students can do in science. And so it, a gapless explanation for somebody who's a you know a, a primary grade student is going to look completely different, and sure. will it with level, level levels of depth and what were considered gaps, you mm-hmm. know, 
you know, it, it it's not like we're going to take the second grade, you know, explanation and say, okay, this is this should be appropriate for any grade level. Right. This is right. madness, madness, yeah. madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and you know, it also, I mean, one of the things I think we've talked about on here before is is it also allows differentiation within. So you can say like, okay, even within a ninth grade class, you can have a range of explanations that you consider to be gapless or good enough explanations based on kids' ability and need and and their degree of support and all those things too. So So there is, you know, I mean, I think one of the nice things about this as an approach is it gives you a lot of flexibility. Now that said, it requires a lot of planning and forethought on the front end. Otherwise, um, all that flexibility is ends up causing causing you problems rather than than uh, solving problems. But yeah, go ahead. No, I was I was I think that that one of the things that I, like I think teachers hang up on is that you know they see like you know we do this on um, you know backwards design. But I think sometimes that almost, you know, stresses teachers out because they see this thing at the end. They're like, okay, how do I get students there? And they're like, how, like they look at it solely from a, okay, what do I have to teach them to be able to do that? And this is a very different process than that. The, the, The process is creating experiences in which students are talking gathering data, you know, comparing explanations, slowly, you know, critiquing each other's explanations, you like summarizing all of those experiences that they've had to be able to do that. And that's a different sort of science unit than, you know, a lot of teachers, you know, are accustomed to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the key there is that you writing your own gapless explanation at the beginning is what allows you to manage the direction and the questions and all the discourse that happens between the, when you give them the phenomena and when you get to the final explanation. Cause if you've walked through it yourself and you have a sense of what the explanation is, then when you're listening to kids ideas, you can see in those ideas, the kernels, the pieces that are productive and you can draw them out and focus on them um, and that helps kids build their own explanations. You ask them questions about those pieces that um, that have have like merit to them, have some productive uh, explanatory power, and then that pushes the whole conversation forward. But you're not doing it in sort of a random way. You're you're doing it in a way that allows you to to guide them towards this this final explanation and that that idea of guiding you know we talk about it all the time the guide on the side the sage on the stage sort of stuff but but what does it really mean to guide rather than you know tell because i think you're right that one of the big challenges i have especially with the pre-service teachers is after they write out the gapless explanation and they say okay now i just got to figure out how to teach them this right it's like whoa 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 that is not the goal, right? I mean, it is the goal, but it's not the goal. Yeah, it's like, how do I put these words in the student's mouth? Right, how do, right. Yeah. exactly. Because that because that means they understand it. Right. Yeah. And so, and, yeah, and ahead. it's it's really about helping them draw the connections. You know, collecting the evidence and using that evidence to, as you said, have those logical sort of like you know, chain in their brain to say, okay, this, you know, piece of evidence, you know, describes this. And then that means this. And then, yeah. and that leads to the explanation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's tools so, to help them. There's tools. I mean, we. I mean, one of the big sure. one that we we talk about is the summary tables, which is helping them summarize all the all the you know evidence that they are collecting and all the experiences that they have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the critical things that you know teachers need to do is do that crosswalk between like what summary, what things, experiences are going to be doing, and what how you want to include them. So that students aren't doing this in isolation. You know, yeah. they're not just like sitting down on day one and saying, let's let's write a gapless explanation. Although, I mean, you could do that as like sort of like a, you know, sort of like a pre-assessment, like seeing where mm-hmm. students are, like from a prior knowledge standpoint. Well, you know? I mean, the when you introduce the phenomenon, you do do a, right. an, a, a version of that, right? You put them in groups and you ask them to write their initial explanation. And that's that's not going to have a lot of the pieces and it's going to show a lot of the gaps. And and those gaps become the questions that the students are asking. Like, well, what about this part? We don't understand, like, when the ball squishes, which ball squishes more in the happy, sad ball? Like, that's it, you know, and what does that mean, right? So, um, yeah, I was just thinking, I don't know if, if it's worth talking a little bit in detail about what a, what a gap explanation sounds like, right? Because we talk about it in the pretty abstract, but, sure. you know, talking a little bit about... Um, like, for example, if we stick with the happy sad ball, because I just used it as an example, um, you know, like the idea is you're dropping these two balls from the same height. They hit the table and then one bounces and one doesn't. So the core of it is, well, what's happening with the, with basically the molecules in the two balls that allows that to happen? And then how do those how do the molecules interacting with other things cause transfers of energy from one thing to another? Because that's really the the whole unit of the happy sad ball is really just about energy, and so what you're really doing when you're when you're building this gapless explanation is trying to explain on a molecular level what's happening to these two balls when they hit the table. So well, it's and like a a, a gap filled ex, uh, explanation would be well, it's just elasticity, right? Yeah, you know? that's what one one yeah one ball's elastic, one ball's inelastic, and that's that's why they do that. Right. Yeah. Right. Or they're or they're different materials. That's what everybody jumps to right away. And it's like, well, right. that's true and also explains nothing. Right. Right. So so it it does get to this idea of like, well, how do you start to to press and probe through that? Like what other things do you have to observe about what's going on there so that you can start building the explanation? Because obviously there a couple places that energy gets transformed in that system. So one is into heat, which is pretty typical in most systems. You lose stuff to heat. And then another one is sound, right? So um, the the sad ball, the one that doesn't bounce, makes a much bigger noise when it hits the table or the floor than the, than the bouncy ball does. So that tells us something, right? That there's this big noise. Um, so starting to think about, okay, what's happening with the atoms of those two balls when these things are happening? And how is it possible that a ball hitting a table or a floor does something to the atoms of the ball or the table or floor so that energy is transferred from one to the other. And so it really forces kids and you know teachers to think about, well, what does it really mean when I talk about heat? You know, heat, okay, heat is just how fast a molecule is moving, right? So it's average kinetic energy. It's just in, in a solid, just something vibrating. So when a ball hits a table, Basically, the atoms of the ball are hitting the atoms of the table, and that's causing the table atoms to move around. All that is is heat, right? So this idea of like, well, let's talk through of, okay, well, if the balls, if the atoms in the table are moving, does that mean the atoms in the ball are moving too now because of that that collision between the two? 
Yeah, it does. So what does that mean? Well, it means that the ball's heating up a little too. So now you can start to think about, okay, well, that means some of the energy that this ball had because it was moving got got transferred in the table because it whacked those atoms. But also it the atoms inside the ball started moving faster, which means some of that energy is now heating up the ball. Wow, that was that that was impressive. Impressive. It was. I also oh. uh, I appreciate what, uh, a couple of things I appreciate there is that one you you walk through you know the your explanation you know from a okay here's what's happening at the at the, at the atomic level and you're showing like hey and it's and you connected it to like phenomena so it would be like oh this one you know it hit and it bounced and this one you can see it squish in and more you know interactions or or whatever but then you mixed in between using academic scientific terms and non-academic scientific mm-hmm. terms which i think is you know we've talked about this before when we especially when we're doing the you know brian brown days with um you know the science in the city book um like we were like whacking and you know other terms mm-hmm. that you mixed in there i mean and i think we have to you know make sure that teachers understand that that's okay that's not just okay that's like yeah permitted we should like encourage it the more that we can get students moving away from like just you know using these big science terms that they don't understand the yeah. using everyday language that they do understand that help that like connect better you know to the actual thing that they're seeing and observing um the better right i mean right. so yeah and if i was doing if i was having a conversation with kids related to what I was just talking through, I wouldn't have used any of those terms, right? We would have talked about molecules and atoms maybe, but all the rest is, I I never would have said average kinetic energy. Um, Might've said heat, but um, if they they start to understand that heat is just how fast individual atoms or molecules are moving. But yeah, I think think it is, that's part of this um, process is thinking about what does it really mean to understand and to explain and and that is, you know, that big hurdle for a lot of science teachers is they think, well, if I just say the ball transfers energy to the table, that that is a gapless explanation, that I have now explained what happens. The ball had kinetic energy, and it now transfers the energy to the table as heat energy. And while that's true, if you understand what's actually going on, if you don't understand what's actually going on, that's just words that cover up what's what's happening and and that those words don't help you understand then in a different circumstance what's actually going on so that's why you're really trying to drill down and into the descriptiveness of what's happening with the atoms and molecules in the ball and the table to to create this transfer of energy i think the other thing that teachers may struggle with is like okay now that i get these explanations how do i assess them like how do i put yeah. like how do i grade them right uh, yeah and- you and want to talk what, about that, or are you just bringing it up as a question? No, well, I mean, I think that. Well, I mean, there's some advice that we can give, right? I mean, yeah. you know, some of it's going to depend upon like the the actual you know environment in which they work, right? I mean, because mm-hmm. like some some schools are are wanting you know grades for lots of things, and and yes. and certainly that's uh, this is one of those accessible moments that we could put a grade on this thing, um, but I think that when when we when we create our own gapless explanation is sort of like the driving thing for our unit we should also think about okay what are the criteria that the students should be including in this right and mm-hmm. that gives some elements is like i don't want to call it a rubric because i know yeah. that rubric has sort of like that um 
you know, people have love hate relationships with rubrics, but yeah. certainly provide some guidance in terms of like, okay, your explanation should include these things, yeah. right? And if they don't include those things, those are, you know, areas that you can provide feedback and also some areas in which you can assess, right? And, yeah. and, and I think that's the, the idea. If you, but it's like, I, I often think like I, I I think about the AP tests or like, you know, when they provide like a, okay, here's a, you know, a seven point essay yeah. for like a his, AP history test. Examples, this is a, yeah. yeah. These, you know, they provide examples and they say from this example, this is why the student got a seven. This is why the student got a five. And this is why the student got a two. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's almost like you have to think about that from a, a gapless explanation standpoint. Okay. If this explanation is a model explanation because it includes these criteria, these, you know, specific connections. They've drawn on the specific phenomenon that we've discussed in class and all the evidence that we've presented along the way. That's, you know, exemplary. Yep. You know, this is satisfactory because they've not, they don't have to use these terms. Right. right. But, right. But it could be, okay, you know, we have this model and then we have like a developing one where students are, you know, drawing on a lot of things. Maybe maybe you want to lean more because at maybe the beginning stages of, you know, the semester or the year, you're looking and saying, okay, I really want to focus on the observational components at this stage. Mm -hmm. So you you maybe you. You know, balance the the grade more to the connecting to the observations, and then later you connect more to the logic because that's something you want to develop as a skill set in your classroom. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's lots of ways to do this that you have to think about, like not just like you know we think about like storylines in our classrooms, but more than just storylines, you have to think about like these are like skill sets that we're developing with students. Like these are like you know observational skills, you mm-hmm. know explanatory skills, you know drawn conclusions all of those things are things that are not just you know in a single unit but developed over years right and so i yeah having some attention to that i think is is important too because the first unit you do this with and the last unit you do this with should look different in terms yeah. of what students are able to do right? right that's right that's a really good point and and i think related to that is is it also helps you think about what scaffolds you put into right. the assessment when you give it to the kids. So so this isn't just a blank sheet of paper where you say, write your explanation, right? That, especially in the beginning, maybe at, to your point, maybe at the end of the year, after they've been doing this for many, many iterations, well, maybe then you can do it that way. But up until then, you what you need to do is you need to have scaffolds. So you need to say exactly like you were describing, Ali, like there's a section where you say, here are the science terms that you should be addressing as part of your explanation. But then also, so sort of like a word banky sort of yeah. idea, but also things like here are the here are the investigations we did. Make sure that you think about all the data that you gathered during these investigations and and include them as part of your explanation and supporting your claims. And also, here are here are the um, what's what's the piece I'm missing? So, oh, here are the the aspects of the phenomenon that you have to explain. Here are the things that we observed in the original yep. phenomenon that you have to make sure that your explanation takes account of. So you have to explain why the sad ball made a louder noise than the happy ball. If you don't include that in your explanation, then your explanation is not complete. Well, putting that in the assessment, so while they're writing, they have a way to check. Now, of course, kids, especially in the beginning, aren't going to do a great job of going back and checking to see like, oh, did I explain that part? But you can build those scaffolds into the assessment in a way that supports them in writing their explanation. 
Yeah. But that, I mean, takes some, some planning. It takes some thought and, you know, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, doing it yourself as a teacher or doing it collaboratively with a group of teachers and saying, okay, uh, we're all teaching eighth grade science. We're going to do this, you know, ambitious science teaching unit uh, that's going to be based on this phenomenon. What What's the explanation we want the students to write? And yeah. but I think that's a really good starting point. And then- yeah, and I think that's I think the key piece of that that you that you just mentioned is that it really helps to do this with other people. It's very difficult to to write a gapless explanation that you're going to use to organize a unit all by yourself because you don't see the own gap your own gaps in your right. logic. Having somebody else to say, "Wait a minute, what about that part? I don't we didn't explain that part. Like, how does that happen?" Um, what I think yeah. So yeah. doing it collaboratively is really important. Yeah, but I think that's a that's a vulnerable experience for. For it's very yeah yeah no you know I, you have to trust each other right and that's one of the things that it's not in every you know environment that's what something you no. have to foster in your classroom it's yeah. but it's also something you have to foster in your departments too yeah. you know yeah yeah that's a it's a good point for the you know for the educational leaders for the people who are department heads and who are lead teachers or whatever right like to recognize that you have an obligation to develop the same sort of community there as you have in your classroom. Like that's a whole nother layer of stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you, you put these folks together and someone's just like, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to do this. Cause right. I would rather like, there are some people who would rather be thought of being difficult or ob- obstinate or stubborn than being stupid. Right. right. Quote unquote, stupid, uh, stupid. Yeah. Right. Not, not I mean, no, no. not that, if you can't write a, a really good gapless explanation means that you're stupid. It just means that you haven't had the opportunity to do it and yep. that you don't have the practice. And so like doing this collaboratively can help that, but not everybody approaches it that way. Right. No. <laughs> well, and it's, it's part of the, you know, we, this circles all the way back to our, one of our core challenges is how do you help teachers who have been teaching for a long time reconsider how they want to teach. Right. I yeah. mean, it's a very difficult challenge. Um, and it, and it's true. It's true with kids too. These gapless explanations are hard for kids. We just had an example, um, the other day in the middle school where a kid who's a GIEP, so gifted IEP. So this is a kid who's been identified as, as being gifted at the end of class came up to the teacher and was like, I'm such an idiot. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, the idea that I, I suggested was wrong and everybody else got it right. And I got it wrong. And, and the teacher had to say to him, like, look, this is not what this is about. Right. Like, but for that kid, like his identity is linked to being right all the time. And that's, that's how he got identified as being gifted. And so now he, he had an experience where he suggested an idea that was wrong and he's really grappling with like, well, what does that mean for me as a, who am I now? I'm not the gifted kid because everybody else in the class figured it out and I got it wrong. So, um, yeah, it was, it's fascinating because they, you know, you really have to, talk people down from that to say, look, this isn't about right and wrong. This isn't about, you know, we need everybody's ideas and everybody's ideas are always going to be a mix of, of ideas that are good and have evidence to support them and ideas that don't work out. So that's not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a hard thing for some people to, to kind of stomach or, you know, especially if they like that student has been used to being the, you know, the kid who gets the answers right, right? Right. Well, and teachers, especially in traditional teaching environments, that's that's the presupposition, right? right? That that is the defining characteristic of a teacher in a traditional classroom is they always have the right answer. 
and they always have the right answer because they've structured class. So the thing that we're talking about is is right answers is is the right answer that the teachers predetermined. So so basically, teachers on some level have created environments where they're the gifted kid um, in a classroom full of of students all the time. And so to go from that to admitting that you don't actually understand some of this stuff is a and that's where the identity challenges occur to go back mm-hmm. a couple episodes is that when you throw these teachers into a collaborative group and say, write a gapless explanation for happy, sad balls. And some folks are like, well, it's just a, the elastic balls, the elastic yeah. nature. And then you're like, start to strip apart the, that onion a little bit. Then they start to really challenge that identity as being the quote unquote smart kid or the person who has the answers to now going, okay, I, I don't know what, how to write this. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what this looks like. Yeah. 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 But then it's like, well, AST is stupid, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't do that in my classroom. No. Or I already do it in my class. I already do that. I already yeah. do it. I do it better than you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good uh, job. Good times. Professional development. Ooh-ha. Ooh-ha. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. You got a joy you want to share? Well, I would say I, I always have a joy, but this yeah. one is um, bittersweet joy. Let's call it that. Okay. All right. Um, so big happenings in uh, the Dreon household uh, recently. Uh, our daughter has moved to a, a grown-up apartment. Oh, <gasps> uh, yeah. Wow, all right. So she graduated from college a few months ago, and she was home saving up some money you know, for, you know, through the summer and the last handful of months. And her goal was to, to move to a, a city, you know, and, and mm-hmm. do that thing. And so uh, this past weekend we moved her to Philadelphia. And so, oh, right. which was a big move. And yeah. it's like, like I said, it's bittersweet because it's, you know, it's joyful in that she's, you know, doing her thing and doing yeah. the thing that, you know, she wants to do. She's looking for a job there. She's, you know, got an apartment with a, you know, a friend of hers and the two of them are living in a nice section of Philadelphia. Um, but, you know, they're buying furniture, they're doing the whole thing. Yep. And it's just, uh, you know, it's joyful in that, like, you want to see your kids go off and do those kinds of things. Right. Yep. But it's bittersweet in that, you know, there's a, it's definitely one of those, uh, you know, changes of, of life. Right. Because. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, yeah. it comes with the territory, right? I mean, it if, does. if you have done, if, if you've done it right, you know, that they're going to be fine. They're going to be great. Yeah. All right. And th- some of that stuff is out of your control. Right. But yeah. I mean, we've, I've probably done as, as good a job as I can to get her to this stage and we'll see what's, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's uh, hard. It's definitely bittersweet is the right way to describe it. And, you know, I mean, they they're not they don't rely on you as much once they move away, right? And that, and that can feel weird as yeah. a parent. It's like, oh yeah, well, I sort of like that. It, it, yeah, and we're we we're a very close family, and so that's the hardest thing yeah. is that like we are, you know, we gravitate to each other as as sort of like our you know supports for each other, mm-hmm. and you know we travel a lot together we do you know spend a lot of time together as a as a as a unit and so now like it's like one part of the unit has mm-hmm. moved 2 hours away so yeah. yeah so it'll be a little less of that now yeah we just have to find opportunities for that to happen sure. you know yeah. yeah it becomes a little more complicated yes sir 
All right. Well, I, I have nothing nearly as epic <laughs> as that. So I'll go to the I'll go to the trivial end of the spectrum. So um a friend of mine pointed out an Instagram um content producer. I don't know what you call these people. So a person on Instagram for me to follow, and it's called Chef Reacts. I don't know if you've seen this. So Chef, Chef Reacts. Well, it's it's chef, uh, as you would expect, C H E F, and then reacts, as in R E A C T S. So, Chef Reacts is this guy who's a chef, um, and basically, I think the way it started was people just sent him videos of people cooking stuff, and he watches them and talks about them as they're as they're happening and then he always finishes it with a review out of 10 and whether he'd eat the thing or not um so it's just it's just funny i mean when because people you know people on the internet make all sorts of stuff and some of it's fantastic and some of it's bizarre and hideous and and you wonder why you would ever want to eat it um but i mean he's you know i don't think he's a He's he's a pretty big deal, I guess, in the sense that he's got a lot of followers and he's starting to get a reputation for doing this work. But I think he is really a chef. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's funny and uh, and it's entertaining and it's food based and it doesn't take long. So uh, you don't you don't have to it, watch a half hour show. It's chef reactions. Oh, chef chef reactions. Sorry. Yes. No, I just Thank looked you. it up as you were because I was like, Good. and I have seen this guy because he has come up like sometimes he'll be making some sort of like just, you know, dish in which they're taking Oreos and yeah, yeah. and There's chocolate chips and yeah. cake batter and throwing it into like a yeah. bunt pan and you know smearing it with peanut butter and all this and it's like wrapping and it in bacon <laughs> bacon yeah. right and then deep frying that right yeah. yeah and he's like what in the world <laughs> yes i have yeah. seen this guy yeah uh, he's he's funny and he's it's it's great fun and then you get to see all these you know some of them are fabulous looking food and then others are like wow who what demented mind thought right. that up and thought that was a good idea but um, but yeah, so I've I've been enjoying uh, Chef Reaction, um, and uh, I think yeah, that's cool. Folks will yeah. like it. Yeah, definitely. If 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 they're kind of foodies or like they spend yeah. any time in the kitchen, or they you know spend any time like you know watching food get created on the internet, yeah, you know, yeah, who, who doesn't get sucked into that? Like yeah, food shows and yeah, yeah, kitchen disasters and all those kind yeah. of shows. Yeah, I always I I always see those ones where they're like making some sort of like, you know, gargantuan like zombie creation, this Frankenstein yeah. dessert. That's just like like who's gonna eat that? Like yeah. I'm sure there are. There are people who are going, Yeah, that peanut butter chocolate, you know, bacon deep yeah. fried thing was delicious. Yeah. I'm like, no. all right. Yeah, I saw one the other day that was like a it was like five pounds of ground beef that they made into sort of like a canoe and then oh. filled it with all sorts of ingredients and then smushed the top over the top and then or closed and then put bacon on it and did and barbecue. It's like, oh my God. It's and then they, you know, the, of course they cut it open and hold it up and say, Oh my God, doesn't yeah. this look delicious? It's the best thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> and of course he just eviscerates those people. Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah, that's great. Well, that that'll be something to keep me from crying in my beer as I miss my 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 go. daughter. Yeah, I'll, you'll just I'll, sit at the table watching Chef reactions, chef reactions over right. and over again. Yes. 
that's a sad, sad story. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Let's not go there. All no. right. Hey, we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.